What a beaut you are, my dear. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. If you were married, or the mom or dad of a daughter or a son, if you got married at 22 years old or have been married for 22 years, please listen to this episode. Which, of course, if you're single, is absolutely for you. I recently posted something on Instagram and got a comment Usually when people get married, I feel like they forget about their single followers. So thank you for posting this. And I was like, um, girl, I am just getting started because I never shared about dating and relationships while I was in them as I chose to keep that part of my life private. And now that I'm newly married, I have a lot to say because it can really suck to be single. And I don't mean sucks to be you. I mean sucks to be us, because I was single way longer than I have been married or in a relationship. Emotionally, I identify like 85% as a single woman, even though I'm newly married, because I have so many battle scars. There's been way more of that in my life, and I don't want to forget them, which is why I especially say if you're married, please listen to this episode to grow in empathy and your ability to understand and remember your friends, niece, future daughter, future nephew. And I'm noticing a pattern here. (laughs) Just before my episode on anxiety, I got anxiety. Right before the episode on friendship, I got friendship FOMO. And before recording this, in one day, I had four friends struggling with singleness, and they all came back to the same one thing, which is truth number five of six below. But here's my backstory. I thought I would marry my first boyfriend when I was 15. Everyone at my church felt like got married at 21. So it was on my radar early and something that I thought I wanted at a very young age. When I was a freshman in college, my first boyfriend and I were the only freshmen in a pre-marriage class. We were planning on how junior year we would live in the on-campus married housing. We were going to have two kids. Their names would be Micah and Mackenzie. He wanted to be a youth minister in Texas, and he loved his theater teacher. So kind of by proxy of that, I thought it would be cool to be a theater teacher. So I became an English and theater major, thinking I would go teach in Texas. Truth number one of six I want to share today is it gets better. Because thankfully, said boyfriend and I broke up and went on to have way cooler lives than what we were dreaming up at 18 or 20. I got a Broadway tour. He joined the Peace Corps. I became the CEO of my own company, and he got his PhD. He does have two kids. I have no idea what their names are. He went on to marry my little sis in my sorority, which is a story for another day. But My husband, Jeremy, is a better fit for me, my life, my dreams, than anyone I dated before him, no matter how excited I was at that moment about our life plans. Much more recently, the guy I dated most seriously right before Jeremy, he had three kids, all good things, sweet kids, great relationship with their mom, awesome. However, it meant that he didn't ever want to travel for more than two weeks at a time to not be away from them. Great dad. But extended travel is one of my great life dreams. It's a huge reason I started a business. My ideal, not just once, but like for life, would be to spend a month in California every winter to be near my family and go to the same town in the south of France every summer for three months where we would develop community. People used to tell me I was being unrealistic to think that I could find someone with a job who could live like that. 
This was probably 10 years ago before entrepreneurship and working remotely was so common. But voila, I have a husband who can work remotely, who is thrilled to be learning French with me, loves traveling to France, also has family in California. For the right guy, that wouldn't have felt like a sacrifice, but there was an even better fit of someone who totally shares my lifestyle and my broader life dreams. Friend, it gets better. I so believe that for you, that when a door closes, it's because there is something and someone better that is coming down the road. Truth number two is small words can be really triggering. I remember years ago, maybe about four years ago, I joined a mastermind. And in the Facebook group, the first question to get to know each other was, tell us about your family. That was such a triggering word. (laughs) It can also be a triggering word for my married friends who choose not to have children. The idea that a partner and children equals a family. Literally, I was like, I don't have a family. I mean, I had parents and a sister, but that's not what they were talking about. And there was only two of the 12 of us who were single. And I know that the person who asked just didn't consider, hmm, not everyone here has a partner and children. So will this be triggering to have to say, I don't have what you're asking me to tell you about? Because it had simply been so long since they were in my shoes. They got married much younger. This morning on my way into the podcast studio, I was scrolling through Instagram and saw someone had a post on how to put together a prayer group. And it started with invite four to six couples. And I was like, why does it have to be couples? (laughs) I told you, I'm still emotionally in the single single girl camp, y'all. So turns out she was prepped for my crazy and had a PS that said this was about praying for kids. So that's why it was couples or also single parents would be appropriate. And I so appreciate her sensitivity to include that and realize there are people like me who would look at that and think, why are you excluding single people? My least favorite with the triggering words is, dude at church, don't scramble to introduce your wife when I say hello. Like, calm down. I don't want to marry you. I'm not flirting with you. I literally just said hi. This is a whole other episode for Jeremy with words of wisdom for the guys. But this is where the smize in today's title comes in, which actually should be a reverse smize. You're not smiling with your eyes. Instead, you're faux smiling and your eyes are saying, seriously, like you're eye rolling while staring straight ahead very politely. Jeremy and I just got into this recently because at church, there's this time when you turn around and say hello to someone, greet your neighbor. And so we turn around and there's a girl behind us. And Jeremy says, hi, I'm Jeremy, whatever, shakes your hand. He says, and this is my wife, Hillary. We got home and I was like, babe, don't say this is my wife. It just sounds like you're trying to cut her off right away. Like, hey, I know I'm a hot guy in church. You probably want to be into me, but let me just make it really clear that I have a wife. Jeremy's like, no, I think about that. Like, I'm super sensitive about that stuff. But that's the way that I would just introduce anyone. I'm like, you, his best friend's name is Tully. I'm like, you would say this is my friend, Tully? And he said, yeah, which I still don't believe that. I was like, well, I would certainly not be like, and this is my friend, Laura. <laughs> I'd just be like, and this is Laura. So like, you don't have to like put the possessive of my wife. You can just say this is Hillary or you can let me introduce myself. But even just in conversation sometimes saying my wife versus Sarah, once you've told us her name, like she has a name. Just use that. You can just refer to her as Sarah instead of having to continue saying my wife. And no, this is not offensive all the time. 
it's just bringing that awareness and knowledge, acknowledging that the littlest things can often feel like they're shouts of, you're single and I'm not. Truth number three is there are just as many men in my life who want love as women. I feel like this is kind of a misconception. We have this sort of social story about the plight of single women. But personally, in my prayer journal, there are almost as many names that I am praying for wives for as husbands. I have really rad single guy friends who want to meet someone too. I mean, I'm talking good-looking, cool, intelligent, successful. This is why I am so pro-online dating, by the way. Out of about 100 guests that we invited to our wedding, I think I'd gone on a date with seven of them. Two were like a high school friend I dated for two weeks kind of thing, but five were from online dating, guys that I dated a couple times or for a few weeks. I'm so passionate about the fact that there are amazing guys out there, and I loved having guy friends that were also dating. My crew of six of us, we all met on online dating through me. So I met A and Q. I talked to both of them online. And then they realized, wait, Hillary, musical theater, I think we're both talking to the same girl. Well, I never met up with Q, went on a handful of dates with A, stayed friends with him, then met Q in real life, became friends with him through A. Meanwhile, I dated another guy, D, online. He uh, and I stayed friends after I invited all these guys to a party. D and Q hit it off. Then Q introduced D to A. Now the three of them kind of became a crew. Then when Q's female friend from work back in Chicago moved to town, he invited her to start hanging out. So that's how I got to know C. Then I went on a date years later, one time with S. He and I were like, maybe we should just be friends. So we became friends. I introduced him to C. They totally hit it off. I introduced him to A. They totally hit it off. It became this co-ed group of folks through just putting ourselves out there and believing that there were wonderful people out there. Out of that group of six of us, two of us just got married, um, actually at the same timeline, and he met his wife on a random online dating platform, like one I hadn't even heard of that randomly a friend signed her up for. She'd never even done it. And it's just such a testament that in his early 40s, after having dated so many wonderful women, it just took meeting the right person at the right time, even in a really random way. But I'm so passionate about friendships with the opposite sex. I think it's you know outdated, this concept, of course, that men and women can't be friends. But I think the key is that you can talk about who you're dating. I think what matters is that you aren't fooling yourself or fooling around with your emotions. Like, you have to take responsibility. If you're friends with a guy you really want more with or you're friends with a girl that you want more with, then it's up to you to protect your heart. But I think it's so healthy that you can have friends of the opposite sex to talk about dating and vice versa. Truth number four of six is the best thing I did while single was go to therapy. Everyone needs therapy. You don't need it because you're single, but it's way easier when you're single. When you go to therapy when you're single, you're like, yeah, I'm going to work on this about myself this year. Yeah, I'm really in the process of working on this. 
when you go with a partner, they're like, um, we talked about this last week. Why have you not fixed that yet? When are you going to stop doing that? There's so much more pressure once you get into a relationship to fix those things because you are living with someone who is very bothered by them. But when you're by yourself, you have more freedom and more patience to really dive deep and work on those things before they affect someone else rather than during. And then you also know if your issues are getting in the way. If I have a girlfriend who's not sure how into a guy she is. She doesn't know if they should keep dating. Should she be more excited by now? My instinct of what advice to give her depends on the friend. The one that subconsciously pushes away relationships for fear of getting hurt, I'd encourage her to be more patient and risk-taking and open-minded. The one who's looking for validation by dating someone fancy as though where they went to college is going to make you look better. I'd encourage them to be more patient, risk-taking, and open-minded. But that friend that's really open to love, self-aware, emotionally healthy, I'd be more inclined to tell her to trust her gut and not settle. Which, then again, I wasn't instantly sure about Jeremy. I remember a conversation with my friends, uh, Carrie, Monica, and Alex, again, back to that co-ed group, and they encouraged me. They were like, he's a great guy, give it time. And this was just a couple weeks in, and for me, it's just because he was so different than who I usually dated. He barely spoke, which is hilarious because he's so much more outgoing now, but I think he was just nervous. But the better you know yourself, the less nervous you'll be at listening to your gut and knowing that you're making a wise and healthy decision for you. Which also brings us to truth number five, your 150% mirror in love. I just coined this phrase within the last 24 hours, though it's built upon a style principle that I've had in my arsenal for years. I talked about this in episode zero, and it's the 150% mirror when it comes to your body. The idea is we all have that area where we look in the mirror, and we're not delusional. We don't have, as I said in episode zero, a flat stomach or banging Michelle Obama arms. But to us, it seems disproportional to the rest of our body. It seems so noteworthy, so noticeable, when to everyone else, we just appear as a size medium, proportional woman. And they are not distracted by that one thing that we're so laser focused on. Well, I had this one day where four of my friends were all texting about insecurities that they were having in dating. And I realized they all had to do with a 150% mirror when it comes to love, that it was all about whatever their greatest insecurity was, what we talked about in episode three. We think our greatest insecurity is the reason someone isn't interested in us. The conversation started with one friend saying, I was feeling really triggered on Instagram because I saw someone that I had been talking to post a photo of the new girl that he's dating. And I thought, yet again, as always, she is younger and thinner. And another friend chimed in, Oh, I totally get that. Sometimes I think about deleting Instagram because it just causes more pain than it's worth. But my thing is always, of course, they would be older and cooler. And another friend said, I'm always worried that I'm not Christian enough. And another friend, these are separate text conversations, said, I, this guy ghosted me yet again, and I'm wondering if I was too Christian. For me, the story was she's probably calmer, less emotional, easier. And ultimately, I don't believe this is the reason that he's not interested. The reason that I don't believe that, and granted, this is based on my one experience, and I always say the challenge with talking to people about dating and marriage is that ideally, they only have one example, if 
you really want to listen to them. They're not like, well, on my 10th husband, this is the way it worked. (laughs) Ideally, they've got one great love story, and therefore they only have one way in which it's worked for them. But in my case, when I first started dating Jeremy, I'd been on dates with three or four other guys that I ended things with for him. And it was not because he was taller or thinner or had better hair or more money or a better job or was more athletic or better traveled. The boy barely spoke. He owned four sweaters. He'd just been let go from his job. And he could have been chubby under those sweaters because it was winter. And I wanted to talk to him every day. It's not your 150% mirror. He's just not that into you. Which is great because it's not about your issues. And clearly you do have issues. You have an insecurity that you are immediately going to thinking, yep, once again, this has got to be what is broken with me. And that thing won't be made secure by him. I have another friend who has an amazing boyfriend. He's so supportive. They communicate really well. And therefore, she's able to tell him that she is very insecure. She's very bothered by the fact that he is is friends with other women, friendships that he had before they were together. And they can talk about this really openly, but ultimately she knows, and she has said to him, there's nothing he can do because she knows that this insecurity is coming from within her. He's not doing anything to trigger it. He's not doing anything unreasonable, but that has to do with what's in her. So please go re-listen to episode number three on security. See truth for above about going to therapy. Otherwise, you'll just be a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife with the exact same insecurity. It's just now causing problems in a relationship, not looking like it's the reason you're not in one. My deep desire for every one of my friends is to see them heal this area of insecurity so that they don't keep going back and blaming that this is the reason someone wasn't that into them. It actually has nothing to do with it. They just weren't your person. And you are beautifully whole and perfect just the way you are for the right person to come along. Or you are going to grow in that way so that when you do intersect that person, the timing is right. To be honest, if I had met Jeremy four years ago when I was deep in the throes of my anxiety, I don't think it would have worked. He's so calm, so chill. I think he would have been like, yeah, I can't handle all of this. My doing that work on myself, it didn't mean that I was broken before for the wrong person. It was just part of my journey when I was at the right place at the right time for the right person and the paths that we were on intersected in the way it was meant to be for us. Which also brings us to my final truth, number six, which is live your life now. And I say this just looking back and sharing from my own experience. I went on my sabbatical when I was single. I dated someone that did travel with me for some of it, but I went alone. That was my plan. I was willing to do that and not put that on hold because I didn't have that person romantically. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I couldn't get any friends to go travel with me. I think travel is a huge area that people put off thinking, I've got to have someone to do this with me. And would I rather travel with Jeremy? Sure. Would I rather travel with a close girlfriend? Absolutely. But it still can be so wonderful and fulfilling and freeing to say, 
I'm not going to put my life on hold waiting for this other person. I moved to New York while single. I started a business while single. Nothing about starting my business had to do with having the financial security from anyone else, being able to split my rent with anyone, knowing that someone else was paying the bills for a period of time. That was all completely on my own. I moved into my own apartment. I lived on my own. I got a toolkit and figured things out. I hired a handyman when I couldn't figure things out or didn't want to. I got a financial planner. I got in charge of my own finances, knowing that that was an area that I wanted more wisdom in, that I didn't really want to have to become an expert at through tons of study on my own. So I just went out and hired a financial expert so there wasn't an excuse waiting for someone else or because it's just something I wasn't good at. And all the things that you think you're going to do when you are in a relationship— Yeah, I still don't go to Broadway shows or museums or be the tourist in my hometown of New York that I thought was just because I didn't have anyone to go with. And store up your stories and your empathy for the day when you aren't single anymore to be there for the sister or brother who's in your shoes right now. And if you're married, get praying for husbands and wives. I am on it in my journal for the people in my life, which aka if you are invited to our wedding and you are single, you are on that list. And if you're single, remember there is a guy or girl or non-binary human out there who is wishing and hoping just as hard that tomorrow will be the day they meet you. And I truly believe when that day comes, your story of the how and why will make so much sense. Do you have more truths about dating and singleness? Please come leave it on my latest Instagram post, which is at Hillary Rushford. Whether you hear this the day it goes live or years later, I read all those comments and I've got six more truths I couldn't even get into today's episode. So this is absolutely a topic we will keep expanding on. So I'd love to hear your wisdom as I keep creating. And if you have a question on this or another topic, head to hillaryrushford.com slash podvip. That's hillaryrushford.com, my name, slash pod, as in podcast, VIP, as in you, and record or send a voice memo or an email or hit the contact button in my Instagram profile while you're there. If you send a voice memo, we may play it in a future episode, and I will see you in the next episode with grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is four home hacks for the forgetful. Number one is a key hook. I got this from one of my college roommates, which is the idea of having a hook that is right by the door when you come in that you always put your keys on, which means I am never looking for my keys because I've had this habit for as long as I can remember. And always knowing where my keys is is very helpful for home hack number two, which is that I have a fob, a A tile is the specific brand I believe that I use that when I push it on my keys will call my phone because while I always know where my keys are, I never know where my phone is. And I am constantly pushing that little button to figure out where in our one bedroom apartment I could possibly yet again have put my phone down. Something else that I am forever forgetting is to turn off my curling iron. Despite growing up with a mom, I don't know about you, who every time we'd get in the car would say, I can't remember if I remember to turn off the curling iron. And then always ask me and my sister as we got older, did you guys turn off the curling iron? Did you turn off the straightener? Did you turn off the crimper? Anyone have a crimper? So I found this thing. I think it was in Real Simple Magazine. I don't even know the brand, but I'm sure you can Google it. It's a ceramic holder, basically, for your curling iron, your straightener, your hairdryer. And 
while I still forget to turn off my curling iron because it is in this protected thing. It's not just lying on my vanity where it could be near some papers or it could roll off onto the rug. So knock on wood, I have never set anything on fire. Get yourself one of these holders. And the final thing is another kind of holder, which is your ring holder. Being newly married and before that newly engaged, suddenly I have this most precious thing I have ever owned, my grandmother's ring that I desperately don't want to lose and that I also don't want to uh, sleep with. It's just big and it just kind of bothers me when I sleep. And then I'm forever taking off because I don't want to get stuff on it when I wash my face, when I put on my makeup. So I have three ring holders all over my house, one in the bathroom, one in my vanity, one by my nightstand. I also have one at work so that whenever I do have to take it off, something that precious always has a place to live. So if you have a piece of special jewelry that you wear on the regular, having a specific place for it to go so you always know where it is. Let me know if you have another home hack for the forgetful. I would love to hear it. Come tell me over at Hillary Rushford on Instagram. I'll see you there with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday. 